reimagine it. Welcome to Banking Reimagined. Hello, Moto. It's time to reimagine the smartphone. G Suite can help reimagine work for enterprise companies like yours. Healing Reimagined. We're reimagining a whole new world of possibilities. Hey, good morning and welcome to Christ Community Chapel. So, so glad that you are here. Uh, welcome those of you over in East Hall, those of you who are tuning in. Uh, welcome. All right, big Sunday. Uh, you can tell it's a big Sunday because my wife bought me this new sport coat. So that's how I know. Uh, we've been talking about this Sunday since the beginning of the year where we have said that a uh, that we have a, a vision that will take us or a theme that will take us to September and then something big is coming. And many of you have looked forward to this day with great anticipation. Some of you have looked forward to this day with great trepidation. And I get it. And I want you to know that, yeah, every time we say that something big is going to go on, a rumor ripples through that the big thing is that I'm going to be stepping away or leaving or something. And that's not true. I'm not going anywhere. Where would I go? Love you guys. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> I'm going to keep saying that every week just to get applause. Um, but being a pastor is an interesting thing. I will tell you that. Because uh, the only reason, there's only one reason that I would want to introduce a new vision. Uh, there's only one reason that our staff would go through all the work that we've gone through to introduce this. Like, I, you know, if this vision comes to pass, I don't get inducted into some kind of pastor's hall of fame. I don't get a big cash bonus. I don't get stock options. There is only one reason we do all this, and it's the same reason that you, that we, it's what we want for you, it's what you want for yourself, which is to hear Jesus say sometime, well done. You were faithful. Well done. So that's the motivation behind this. Now let me tell you what it is. About five years ago, uh, we had four campuses. And we were thinking about starting more campuses. And we started campuses because churches are a little bit like magnets. Like the bigger the magnet, the bigger the, the kind of area of attraction. The bigger the church, the further people are willing to drive to get to that church. And so our church had gotten big enough where people were driving, you know, 30, 40, 50 minutes to get here, which is great. But we knew that their non-Christian neighbors would not drive 40 or 50 minutes to come visit. So we started campuses, not for the convenience of our members, but so that our members would be able to reach their non-Christian neighbors and friends that lived around them for Jesus because we wanted more and more people to come to know Jesus. But we've, campuses were taking a lot of time to form and then they were also expensive. And they also seemed, campuses seemed a little bit like college kids that went to college, graduated, and then moved home into your basement. You never knew when they were actually gonna leave, right? So the, the campus pastors started to feel like they were ready for independence, so we created a way for them to become independent. And so all of our campus be, campuses became independent or uh, are becoming independent. 
But God was still doing something inside of my heart. And the thing that God kept saying to me was that this whole region, I want to reach this whole region. And I started to feel more and more a pull towards church planting, which was weird because I didn't know how to plant a church. I'd never done it. I didn't know how to train church planters. And then I met Zach Wyrock, and I, he had planted a church up in Cleveland. Uh, he had a great vision for it and, uh, and an ability to teach church planters. So we hired him and we started Orchard NEO, Orchard Northeast Ohio, with the, the, the vision of planting saplings all over Northeast Ohio. And the exciting thing is next week, we launch our first two church plants, one in Goodyear Heights, one in Mayfield Heights, which is going to be amazing. Then we have two more church planters already on site being trained. So it's very cool. What I didn't anticipate was what God was going to teach me through church planting. Because uh, when I would talk to church planters, they have to ask a lot of questions. And their questions are very good questions. They have to ask the question, what is our church going to be about? How do we reach our particular community? What's it like if somebody is born into this church I'm starting, and if they live 20 years into this church, what will they be like at 20 years old? How do I move people from being consumers to disciples? What programs make sense? How can I be good for the community I'm going to? All great questions. Now, our church, Christ Community Chapel, is 39 years old. We started in 1981, which means that we have grown and we have a lot of things going on. Every week, a lot of stuff happens around this place. I mean, we have student ministries and uh, we have children's ministry. We have college ministry. We have a recovery ministry. We have community groups. We have a marriage ministry. We have men's ministry, women's ministry. We have all a care ministry. We have all kinds. We have three different venues for worship. So there's an awful lot of work that goes into every, and we, we promised you last year, after last year, we'd be better at communicating to you about everything, and we have not been very good. And part of that is because we're, every week, it seems like we're busy trying to cross all the T's and dot all the I's, let alone take a step back and ask those questions. Is this what Jesus wants? Are we the kind of church that Jesus wants us to be at this particular moment in history. So 18 months ago, we started carving out time every week to ask questions, to pray, to search the scriptures. And we took one day per month to, take, to go off campus just to talk and pray about these kinds of things. And so we've been doing that. And this is a result of all that time. Because when we started to look at it, we started to look at our church, and our church is a little bit like a, a big fitness center. You know, if you've ever walked into a big fitness center like LA Fitness, you walk in and, <laughs> you know, there are machines everywhere. And you're thinking, I just want to get in shape, but I don't know where to start. I don't know what to do. Right? And some of you have been coming here for a while, and you have found, you know, like, what you need in this church. You know, you have found your kind of spiritual machine, and you are buff right? Spiritually speaking, right? So you're, you're happy, but there are a lot, a lot of people that are just walking around. They don't know where to start. And we thought, what would it be like to have a church there? Somebody's met at the door and somebody asked them, where are you with God? Where do you want to be? And they could say, this is where you go. 
And wherever they are, they could say, this is where, what your next step would be. What would it be like to have a church where everybody in the congregation would be able to answer that question for anybody who walks in, somebody walks in brand new and they say, this is where I am with God. What should I do next? And instead of you having to go find a pastor or a staff member, you could tell them. What would it be like to have a, a language for discipleship that people would begin to learn as children and then middle school speaking the same language and high school and adults so that whole families could gather around a kitchen table and know and ask the questions and know kind of where everybody was spiritually at that particular moment on that particular night. What would it be like to be a church that was so good for the community that the community, even people who don't ever come here, would hope that we thrive because we're so wonderful to them. What would it be like to be right smack dab in the middle of a movement of God where the Spirit of God would be blowing through this place? What would it be like where to have a, people being baptized every Sunday where in the first service in here, in the sanctuary, in the traditional service, there'd be a dozen 60 to 70-year-olds being baptized at the same time that a dozen millennials would be being baptized in East Hall. What would it be like to have 20 high school kids baptized on the same Sunday? What would that be like? Those are the dreams we've been dreaming. Those are the prayers we've been taking to God. You know, and for me, every time I'm trying to discern the will of God, it seems like uh, it's like a jigsaw puzzle where there are all these pieces that are floating around and have been floating around for a while. And then God shows me how they start to come together and I start to see kind of where he wants us to go, what he wants us to do. So here's some of the pieces that have been floating around for all these years. Let's start with the, the purpose statement that this church was founded on, that we exist to help people come to know Jesus to grow in their relationship with Jesus and to serve him daily. We have known for years and years how important community groups are. We know that people learn in rows like you're sitting right now, but we live in circles. We live in relationship and we need each other face to face. We have always been involved with global missions, with what God's doing around the world. It's never been, we've never been satisfied with just here. I introduced things like Micah 6.8, and you guys just jump at it. We say, just because, and we say, listen, there, we want to blanket this area with 10,000 acts of kindness and generosity, and nobody here goes, 10,000, that's crazy. What you say is, where are the cards? Give me the cards. We say, we want to we do Thanksgiving baskets to 1,500 families, and nobody says, that's too many. We just say, Give me a tub and I'll be a part. All these pieces, even the bicycle wheel that I cannot get out of my head, right? This, that, that Jesus is in the hub and that there are all these spokes that are all the parts of our lives. And I think, okay, so all those pieces are like floating around. And this is the first question we asked. What does Jesus want? What did Jesus have in mind when he began this wonderful, amazing thing called the church. And that took us to Matthew chapter 28. 
uh, Jesus has resurrected and he gathers his disciples around him to give them their marching orders, to give them their mandate of what it means to be his followers. And this is what he says in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. It says, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This, this is God's word. And it's true. Jesus gives a single mandate, go make disciples. That's what the church is supposed to be doing. And so then the $64,000 question is, what does it mean to make a disciple? What does that mean? All right. And that took us to kind of take another step back and look at the overarching story of the Bible. Because the Bible is this story that starts in Genesis with the, the beginning of the history of mankind, and it ends in Revelation, which is the culmination of all that God is doing in restoration. And so we began to think, what is that overarching story of what God is doing, and how do we participate in that story? And you know how I love props, and I love visuals because it helps me understand things and communicate them to you. And so we figured out how to capture the entire overarching story of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation using four geometric shapes, right? Just four shapes. And here are the shapes. Square, triangle, triangle, square. Square, triangle, triangle, square. The entire Bible. I'm going to show you the entire Bible using these four geometric shapes. You ready? Here we go. Genesis chapter one and two, God creates the world. It is a perfect world. It's exactly the way he wanted it, the way he, he intended it to be. He was in perfect harmony with human beings. Human beings were in perfect harmony with him. Human beings got along with each other perfectly in our environment, everything. This is paradise. This is exactly the way God intended the square. It's complete. Genesis chapter three, sin enters the world. It fractures our world. It doesn't completely wipe out our world. There is still beauty. There is still relationship. There is still love. But every single part of our lives we can feel is not there. It's not what it was intended to be. Even if you're a non-Christian, you realize that our world that we have is not what ought to be. You can feel it deep down in your soul. That's Genesis 1 and 2 perfection. Genesis 3, sin enters the world. Genesis 4 to Revelation 18. This is God's mission to restore and redeem the entire world. Everything in the Old Testament pointing to Jesus. Jesus comes, does what no one can ever do, which is he begins that process of redeeming and restoring us and redeeming and restoring the world. Everywhere Jesus goes in the gospels, he is healing he is bringing a brokenness and healing and bringing together to wholeness, physically, emotionally, spiritually. And two triangles, if they're put together in the right way, form what? A square, which is the restoration of all things. That's Revelation chapter 19 to, to chapter 22, when God pulls everything and he makes it exactly the way 
he wanted it to be, right? But not only is this the overarching story of the Bible, it's your story. It's my story, right? This is the story of human beings, that God created you a certain way. He created you to be in relationship with him, created you to have relationship with each other that are a certain way. He wants something great for you. But sin has impacted every area of your life. And that's the bicycle wheel, right? All those spokes, all those things, Jesus has to connect to them because they are not what, they are, what God wants them to be, what Jesus can make them to be. Then Jesus comes into your life. And this is the thing. You know, the, the, the goal of making a disciple is not just to get somebody to pray a prayer so they get out of hell and have the hope of heaven. The goal of making a disciple is to get somebody to understand that when Jesus comes into your life, everything about your life gets reimagined. Every single aspect of your life, every spoke that is broken gets, begins to get healed. If you're married, that means the brokenness in your marriage, when you add Jesus to your marriage, it becomes more of what Jesus wants it to be. It becomes more the square. How you handle your money, how you approach your career, every single thing. What we realized was that the word reimagine captures more of what a disciple is than any other word. Listen, we showed that that, the little clip at the beginning. Watch how many different companies are using the word reimagine now. When Capital One says reimagine banking, you know what they're saying? They're saying, think of it as a square. What they're telling you is this. We know banking should be like something that it's not. We know it's broken. We have fixed it at Capital One. Now it's a square. That's what they're trying to say when they say reimagine. What we're saying is this. What if God wants you to reimagine your entire life And what if Jesus is the secret to that? Look at scripture. In the New Testament, that's what Jesus is always doing. He goes to Nicodemus in John chapter three. What's he tell Nick? Nicodemus says, I wanna get better. I wanna get better with my relationship with God. You know what Jesus says? Oh, Nicodemus, you gotta be born again. You gotta reimagine everything. Saul of Tarsus comes into contact with Jesus. Jesus says, oh, Saul, I'm gonna change so much about you. I'm gonna change your name to Paul the apostle. Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19 comes into contact with Jesus, goes, gives half of his his wealth away because everything about him is being reimagined because of his contact with Jesus. That's what it means. So that's what we started to think. What would it mean for our church if we began to make disciples and have people start to think like that, you see? So, That led us to another question. And I'm just giving you, I want to, in these three weeks, I'm going to give you like a 10,000 foot view of what we've been working on for the last 18 months and what we think. And then the the real meal, this is like an appetizer. The real meal is going to be in what we call a reimagined class, which we want everyone in our church to eventually go through. And some of you are saying, I'm ready now. Sign me up. I'm into change. You're an early adopter, all that. Some of you are saying, oh, that's a lot. I think I need some time. So this is why we are introducing it now at a 10,000-foot level. Then after these three weeks, we're going to go into a 10-week series on the book of Acts because I want to show you how this is the pattern of the book of Acts in the early church. This is how the world was changed by Christians. 
And then we're going to go into Advent, which is when we celebrate the birth of our Savior. And then in January, I'm going to give a vision series like I normally do, only this one won't be just for a single year with a single theme. This is going to be for the next 30 years. Because as we look back on the last 39 years and all that God has done and been asking these questions, we've been asking God, what do you want to do with us in the next 30 years? And that has pushed us to reimagine what Christ Community Chapel could be, should be, as a church. Could we become a church that actually everyone knows what the next step is for everyone else? Could we become a church where there's a a common language from children through adults about what it means to be a disciple? Could we be a church where people begin to reimagine every aspect of their lives so it would become the kind of people that God intended us to be? And one of the things that we started to think is, could we become a church where we become like an epicenter of a movement of God and God begins to blow, his spirit begins to blow through this place. And what would that be like? And because you guys are the kind of people that you are, and I say Micah 6.8 and you guys go crazy. I say grab a, uh, a just because card and we're going to do 10,000 acts of kindness and nobody says that's too many. Everybody just says, show me the cards. We dream big here at CCC. And so we started to think, is it time for us to set some goals for what the next 30 years might be, could be? Hudson Taylor uh, was, is considered by church mission experts as being the one who brought Jesus to China, to mainland China. He left England at the age of 22, spent the next 51 years in China trying to reach Chinese people for Jesus. He also was responsible for bringing 800 other missionaries during his lifetime to China. At his death in 1905, there were 18,000 Chinese Christians in the world in China. That was 115 years ago. Today, church experts think that there are as many as 150 to 200 million Christians in China. And that happened because of Hudson Taylor first taking the trip to China. And Hudson Taylor said this, and I love this. He said, anytime you begin, you try to do something great for God, there are three stages you will go through. First, it's impossible. Then it's difficult. Then it's done. How cool is that? First, it's impossible. Then it's difficult. Then it's done. What if we try something here at Christ Community Chapel that seems impossible, and then it seems difficult, and then it seems done? My my brother's oldest son, Jordan, my nephew played football all through high school, and he wanted to play football in college, and so he was taking these recruiting trips to different colleges. He went to Wheaton College, And Wheaton had a great football program at the time. I think they still do. And when he was talking to that coach, that coach made a pitch to Jordan that I don't think I'll ever forget. It was a great pitch. He said this, Jordan, if you love Jesus and you love football, then Wheaton has got to be on your radar. That's it. Very simple. If you love Jesus, you love football, then we have got to be on your radar. I'd play for that guy. This is what I'm telling you. If you love Jesus and you want to do something wonderful for Jesus in your lifetime, 
then Christ Community Chapel has got to be on your radar. If you love Jesus and you want to do something wonderful for him in your lifetime, then this is your church. Here are the three goals. Everyone, every community, everywhere in the next 30 years. Everyone, every community, everywhere. Everyone. We want in the next 30 years for everyone within a 10-mile radius to have a Jesus-following friend. Everyone in a 10-mile radius of this church, every neighbor you have, every classmate, everyone who works in Cleveland but lives around here, every single person in a 10-mile radius to have a Jesus-following friend. Number two, every community. We want to plant 60 churches in the next 30 years. We plant two next week. We have two in the hopper right now, two a year for the next 30 years so that every community in Northeast Ohio has a place where they can go to hear about Jesus. And then everywhere, we want in the next 30 years to give $30 million to global missions. Everyone, every community, everywhere. Next week, I'm going to talk about every community. The week after, I'm going to be talking about everywhere. Let me just say a little bit more about everyone. When I say everyone within a 10-mile radius to have a a Jesus-following friend, uh, this is why I say that. Tim Keller, uh, who was the pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City, they planted like 150 churches in New York City. He said, I remember him saying this, our goal is to get the the number of people who are Christians up to 5%. If 5% of New York City become Christians, then New York City will be reached for Christ. It's just a matter of time. That's the tipping point. And the way he just, the way, the reason that he said that is that he said the Jewish population of New York City is 5%. You stop anyone on any street in New York City, any time of the day or night, and you say, hey, excuse me, do you know somebody who's Jewish? Every single person will go, hmm, yeah, I do. Uh, the delicatessen I go to, my tailor, my banker, they'll name somebody. What Keller said was this, that is all God needs to transform an entire area. All he needs is for every single person to just know someone who knows Jesus, who is being transformed square, triangle, triangle, square. I just read a book called uh, Destroyer of the Gods. It's about the early church. You know, I've been fascinated by the early church. Part of it is because I've been asking these questions about our church. So I want to go back to why and how God began the church. But in this book, this guy gives stats. And this is what he says, according to church historians. In the year 40 AD, there were uh, a thousand followers of Jesus in the entire world. By the year 100 AD, there is estimated to be seven to 10,000 Christians in the world. By the year 200 AD, there were 200,000 Christians in the world. By the year 300 AD, there were five to six million Christians in the world, and they had, they had effectively transformed the entire Roman Empire. The entire Roman Empire, God had square, triangle, triangle, squared it. And I think... I can't tell how big our church is anymore with COVID. But I think if, if God can do that, with 11, starting with 11 disciples, if we have 3,000, 4,000 people here, 
Do you think God could square, triangle, triangle Northeast Ohio through us? Do you think he could grab us and say, oh, I will blow my spirit through you in such a way that you will see people come to Christ by the score, by the hundreds. We believe that in order for every person in a 10-mile radius to have a Jesus-following friend, 10,000 more people need to come to know Jesus. Why not us? I believe what... <laughs> listen, if you love Jesus and you want to do something wonderful for Jesus in your lifetime, this is your church. And what we are hoping to do, what we are telling God we want to do for him, I believe what Hudson Taylor said, it's going to be impossible without him. And all of us here will experience the impossible. And some of us will live long enough to to experience the difficult. And some of us here will experience the done. And what would it be like to have everybody in a 10-mile radius know a Jesus-following friend who was being transformed square, triangle, triangle, square because they were real disciples. And if you are that Jesus-following friend to people, and you will be, people will come up to you and say, how have you been changed so much? And you get to tell them about Jesus. Let's be that church. Let's reimagine what our lives can be like. Let's reimagine what a church can be like. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we are so grateful. I am grateful you did not leave us in brokenness and you could have, you had every reason to, but instead you sent us Jesus. And not just to give us the hope of heaven in some day by and by, but you gave us Jesus to begin to restore every aspect of our lives so we could begin to reimagine what our life could be like if it was exactly the way you want it to be. Lord, I pray that you would, uh, I think you have given us this vision to do something wonderful for you. We want to do that with you and for you. But I pray that you would start with us, that you would change us first and then allow us to fulfill a vision for everyone, every community, and everywhere. Thanks. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.